I'm going to do a little bit of ball hogging on the microphone, um, at least to start the show. Austin, you know how much I, I hate that. Um, but we have all we always get these questions about um, where we are with college fantasy sports becoming mainstream. Will you guys consider building a platform? That sort of thing. So I want to talk about some of those questions in the context of where we are with the future of college fantasy sports. Let's talk about the, and I, what I'm, and again, I mean by it becoming mainstream on the platforms. Let's talk about the business first. So I've spoken to people in the business development offices of a couple, two major platforms. And you have to understand that the fantasy space is very much a business, very much. And there's no particular loyalty to, fantasy football the business model for these fantasy sports platforms is to round up as many people as possible free games free app chat with your friends make trades it's all free get you onto the platform and then convert some of those people to paying customers using their their paid services now i say that there's no loyalty to fantasy football because what the platforms want is to use football as the draw but then they want you to try their racing games tennis props their wallet product fantasy basketball over and unders get as many touch points with the customer with the platform as possible so we think of we as the customers think of fantasy uh, football platforms as just that, but I think that they see themselves as being in the life integration business, like a social media app. Think about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. For many of us, those things are just synonymous with living, with life. And the fantasy platforms attempt to accomplish that same thing, that same integration that same immersion with the sports fans. So what do they think about us? What do they think about the people who are interested in college fantasy? So remember, their business is rounding up as many people as possible. And what I've heard from two different platforms is that's the issue. The platforms believe that all of the people that could be rounded up by college fantasy sports, that they have already interacted with the app by virtue of NFL fantasy football. In other words, college fantasy football is not a business line that will net new customers. This is not my opinion. This is not Austin's opinion. This is what we are hearing from directly from the fantasy platforms. As a matter of fact, if you ask one fantasy platform, college fantasy football wouldn't even be the second consideration after NFL fantasy football. In fact, it would be fantasy baseball. According to their studies, it would net the biggest gain in in uh, customers. So we've heard the question, well, what, would, would you guys consider uh, building your own platform? I don't think that people really understand what it takes to do that and the money that it takes to do that. 
So let's talk about it. Sleeper. Everyone uses Sleeper. At least in campus to Canton leagues, a lot of you use Sleeper for the NFL side of your fantasy leagues. They started in 2018. Before they started, they had an initial round of funding of $2 million. And we're not talking about like, you know, from the owners, like they were already in the venture capital game in the Silicon Valley game before they started. Birchmeyer Ventures helped with the initial round of funding. 2018, they get their Series A funding. I have no idea what the heck that means, but that's what it's called. $5.3 million, fourth quarter 2018. May 2020, Series B funding. This is the second round of funding. $20 million from venture capital uh, Anderson Horowitz. Anderson Horowitz. They're on Twitter. Andrew Chen, who uh, kind of led the funding for, for, for this venture capital firm. He's on Twitter. You can go look him up. Series C funding. This is just last year, September 2021. $40 million raised by that same venture capital firm. For That's a total invested of $67.3 million. Their investors include Clay Thompson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Shane Battier, Baron Davis, Byron Jones, Twitch co-founder Kevin Lynn, NerdWallet co-founder Tim Chen, Kevin Durant. That company is estimated to be worth $400 million. $400 million. They've got over $3 million users. Haven't turned a whole bunch of them into paying customers yet, but that's next in their game. They're in year, what is it, 2021? They have to turn a profit here soon. Those investors are going to want their money back. That sounds like bad news. I'm not discouraged by it. I'm not discouraged by it. Can fantasy football be mainstream? Debbie, CFF, C2C. Our numbers here at Campus to Camp would say yes. We didn't start with $2 million. We started less with less than $2,000. But our numbers, the people who are joining our site every single day, would suggest that, yes, it's possible. But we're a grassroots movement. We are a grassroots movement attempting to knock on the door of these major platforms and be heard. And I've thought about this. I've thought about how can we make college fantasy football, how can we bring it to the mainstream? Some of it, I think, is doing what we're doing here at Campus to Canton already. But there are some other steps. Um, I think one step is rebranding the term Devi. I think that names of things are, are very important. A name should tell you exactly what it is very quickly. And if you are someone not um, if you don't if you are not familiar with Debbie if you're a fantasy football fan or a college football fan Debbie doesn't necessarily tell you what it is that 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 term was coined a long time ago it doesn't tell you that it includes some college fantasy sports aspect which may be attractive to a college fantasy sports fan the other thing that's important to me, and I think that I do this on Twitter and on this platform, is supporting the community as a whole, not just campus to Canton. 
because I, I'd like to see the industry itself grow. So you'll always hear me talking and citing Debbie Marketplace, Debbie Deep Dive, the Debbie Royale, Burning the Red Shirt, Destination Debbie, CFB Winning Edge, Chasing the Natty, a part of one of our family of podcasts, John Lobb and Matt Hicks, what they're doing at uh, Rookie Book Big Board. If you are supporting us, it costs nothing for you to go subscribe to them. We need to see the numbers in the industry increase overall. And then at some point, when we're not yet, not yet, at some point, we're going to be big enough to start, to start knocking on the doors of some of the rainmakers or what I consider to be the rainmakers in this industry. Not the fantasy industry, but the crossover between college sports and fantasy. 24-7, Bud Elliott, Josh Pate, the Cover 3 podcast, Andy Staples, Ari Wasserman at The Athletic, Split Zone Duo. We're going to be able to start saying, hey, Campus to Canton family, send these people uh, questions about who you should draft in the 12th and 13th round of your supplemental draft so that their producers and their bosses can see, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a market for this conduct, this content. People are asking for it. We're not there yet. We aren't there yet, but we will get there. I think that all of us have been surprised at how receptive you all have been to what we're doing at campustocanton.com. And we don't see it slowing down. So we will get to the point where we can knock on those guys' doors, on Bud Elliott's door, on Josh Pate's door, on 24-7's door, and say, hey, we want this content. Content. We want CBS Sports to create uh, a fantasy platform for C2Cers. Hey, ESPN, we want you to create college fantasy, a platform for us. What can you do? What can you do if you're within the sound of my voice? I think it is simple. It's the things that we always ask for you, but they are actually important. You can subscribe to Campus to Canton on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. The numbers matter. Rate and review the Campus to Canton podcast feed. We've got 59 rate and reviews. That's great, but we have way more than 59 people who listen to this show. All of this is growing organically, and it's going to continue to grow. But if you believe and want to see college fantasy sports come to the mainstream, then help our voices get bigger. All of those people that I named earlier, help their voices get bigger. Debbie Marketplace has a, a Discord that is free. You can go join it now. John Lobb and Matt Hicks at the Rookie Big Board. They have a Patreon. So does Debbie Royale. Listen to Burning the Red Shirt. CFB Winning Edge is doing great breakdowns right now on all 131 FBS teams. Subscribe to them. This isn't a niche um, game. There's a lot of the, us out there, but we just need to support each other. That's something that's very important to me. Um, I think I've hogged the mic here. Probably enough. Uh, Matt Bruning, 
Austin Nace, Chris Moxley. They all have themselves on, on mute, but they are here. Gentlemen, weigh in here on what you think is possible for the future of college fantasy sports and how we get there. Matt, you look very contemplative, so I'll throw it to you first. I mean, unfortunately, I think some of this is just going to take time. Uh, Mox, I think me, Moxley, and maybe it was Brandon Sanders uh, on a recent episode discussed this with uh, with the changes possibly coming and, and realignment and possibly the, the going away of NCAA, the NIL coming to the forefront. Like right now, and I I'd necessarily don't necessarily think this is a bad thing, but college football is a very regional sport. It just is. And that is part of why we love it. But I also think that is part of the issue with it. It doesn't have the national love and the national brand that the NFL does. And that's where a lot of that money comes in because of that. We've talked a lot about when this possibly goes to a more national brand. Why it may hurt some aspects of college football. I do think it brings it to the forefront like the NFL, which is then only going to grow it. It's why we've talked many times behind the scenes about how we are betting on ourselves. And as you've mentioned so far, it's been fairly good for us. And we appreciate, you know, I see John Lobb is in the chat. He is always supporting us. I love supporting John. He is a great member of the CFF community. Everybody, I think it's fair to say in the CFF community, C2C Debbie does a really good job of supporting each other because we know how important it is for the college game to grow. Because as John mentioned, we can all grow together, and he's 100% right. I feel, I feel like I say this every other episode. The fantasy football industry is $7 billion a year. It's a $7 billion a year industry. You're telling me that if college football gets big, and we're probably not all that is. like We, we just named off, what, 10 sites, Patreons, uh, different little areas that we know about. There could be hundreds of others out there that we don't even know about. You can't tell me that $7 billion doesn't help all of us. So I definitely think it's coming. It's just going to take time. It's realistically going to take one site. You just mentioned, you know, Sleeper, ESPN, Yahoo used to have it. It's going to take one site to take the plunge. And once they do, it will open the floodgates. And that is when I think this is going to go quickly from what everybody likes to call a niche because they're not ready to accept it into this is going to be right there with Dynasty and Redraft. Something that makes no sense to me is that is the thought that while nobody's playing college fantasy sports, therefore there's no market for it. It makes it makes no sense to me at all. Um, I I'm really proud of the team that we've assembled here. Like we're not some we're not football guys. Like we can't pay what some of the major um, fantasy content websites do. But man, the team that we have to believe in what it is that we're doing, Corey Pierre, Mike Valerie, Hannah Page, um, Jared Palmgren, you know, our entire team, Barnabas, they really believe in what it is that we're that we're doing. And we see that every day in our Slack group. So uh, Austin, Chris, any any thoughts before we move on here? My final thought, it would have been a great, this would have been a great episode of the Sharp Review. <laughs> it's giving you a hard time. All right. Um, I wish we were a radio show because we would have transitions. 
Let's open and up the phone lines. Let's open up the phone lines. We would have some easy transitions, but there are no easy transitions. Um, we're going to talk about quarterback battles here. As we get closer to uh, the season starting, there are a number of them, and they're all important for whether you're, you're Debbie Leagues or C2C Leagues. Let's start in with North Carolina. Drake May, Jacoby Criswell. I've, we've said this earlier. They might have one of the best uh, quarterback rooms, and when you throw in Connor Harrell, in the country. Um, Mox, what do you see happening here? Is it going to be some sort of two quarterback system, or do you see Mayor Criswell, you know, actually nailing it down and being the starter? I think it's going to be Drake Bay, but we have seen Mac Brown be really quick to pull quarterbacks. I mean, his quarterback development and the way he handled the quarterbacks at Texas was one of the big reasons that he had to like that. He, that he was let go at the job. Like he really did not handle that situation. Well, so I would not be surprised if we saw both of them play in the first three weeks. Shoot. I would be surprised if we saw true freshman Connor, Connor Harrell get out there at some point. Like, I, I just don't know how much I trust Mac Brown without a solid starter in place. I do think Drake May starts week one, but if Criswell got on the field, wouldn't shock me. Austin, I feel like you're giving us the silent treatment today. Is that are you just giving the show the silent treatment? No, no, I, I don't. I, I'm done playing defense against the show. You guys have shown me the error <laughs> of my ways. Um, so. You've been talking a lot, Felix, about how you think this is going to be a two a two player battle, like a two, like a dual quarterback system. Um, I could see that, I could see that, but I do think, as someone who was very hesitant on Drake May for a lot of the reasons that we're talking about here tonight, that Chriswell is not a bad player, that Mac Brown is not always, uh, you know, I can't always quite read what he's going to do next. As someone who's very been very much a Drake May may not be the starter next year, I do think that he gets this job. I do think by week three or week four, a UNC schedule isn't particularly crazy difficult. The big, the big hangup for them is really going to be, does the line improve a little bit this year? Because last year they really kind of got Sam Howe killed at times. And the other question is going to be, does a second wide receiver step up to make these quarterbacks and particularly Drake may look better than, than, you know, a, a first time starter, May. So that's that's going to be the big question. But I, I do think Drake May uh, gets this job. And I'm interested to see which one of them transfers next offseason. Because mm-hmm. Connor Harrell is not going to sit there for two or three years and and learn how to play quarterback on a bench. Jacoby Criswell, probably not going to stay there for two or three more years. Like These guys are going to go somewhere else. Uh, come to Pitt. Come to Pitt. Hail to Pitt. I, man, I feel like we've talked a lot about May and, Chris, May and Harrell the freshman, but we haven't talked a lot about Criswell other than to say that, you know, he's a viable candidate for this job. If if he gets the job or if he transfers, I mean, big arm, you know, quarterback, do you think that he could be a player that we would have to roster at least in campus to camp formats? Oh, yeah, I think we would roster him. I mean, we're talking about rostering guys who probably – don't realistically have a chance to put up 
many fantasy points just because of the depth of the format. I mean, most teams, for people who may not play it, who are interested, it's 45-man rosters. Typically, you're talking about 12, 12-man leagues. So I, we're in an auction right now. I think I've got almost 10 quarterbacks on my roster currently from this auction. Oh, so that's where all of them went. They're going oh, to me, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely worth roster. I think the biggest thing's going to be where does he go? Because I do think he could be an intriguing fantasy option, but he's got to go to the right place. I, I wouldn't mind him going somewhere like Pitt once Keaton Slovis moves on. I don't know how much they're going to pass the ball now with uh, with um, uh, Mark Whipple leaving, but wherever he goes, I do think he'll be good. And I agree with Austin. Like I think him or Harold probably transfers out. Probably the reason we're not talking about Criswell too is just Drake May was a highly recruited guy. He's a, he's a guy that recruiting has become such a bigger part of the of college football, and I think that's starting to kind of work its way into the CFF space as well. So he's a name that we know more because of how much he was touted compared to a guy like Criswell, who is already there and has looked really good. Yeah, it'll be – I mean, they play in week zero. I think they play against Austin P. P excuse me, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. So we're going to see – early on, um, whether or not, you know, a, an actual starter has been named. I really don't understand why more of these schools don't just name a dude. Um, we could be come, getting the, uh, close to Washington. Uh, Kalen DeBoer actually naming somebody, Matthew. Michael Penix transfers from Indiana to Washington to be with his former OC. I feel like this is like a – I don't feel like this is a quarterback battle. I feel like Michael Penix Jr. is going to be the starter. He was the starter in the spring game, played a lot. And I feel like, if I remember correctly, Dylan Morris was, was second and Sam Heward was third. I mean, am I wrong in thinking that, no, this is Michael Penix's job? Why, like, why do you think that it's not? It's, it is Michael Penix's job. It is. It, DeBoer has said that he went out and got Penix because he knows the system doesn't make Michael Penix a good quarterback. That's been my argument. I know you disagree with that, and that's fine, but I do not necessarily think that Michael Penix is a good quarterback. But DeBoer did go out to get him. To, he mentioned it today. They just opened their spring practice. I talked about them for a couple minutes on the uh, fall camp practice reports. Uh, they wanted to bring somebody in who knew the system, and that's why DeBoer went and got Penix after Jake Hayner didn't come that for whatever reason. I know there's a lot of rumors behind that, whatever he ended up not coming. He stayed at Fresno. So he went out and he purposely went and got Michael Penix because he wanted to bring some, because he feels they're a team that can compete right now. He did not want to have Dylan Morris or Sam. Hewer try and learn that system. Uh, from everything I read through spring and currently Dylan Morris and Sam Hewitt are still splitting second team reps. So I don't know who's going to be the second string quarterback, but I do think whoever that is, has got to be ready again whatever the issue has been, Michael Penix has played no more than six games a season. I, I think expecting him to play a full season is just not smart. So I, I understand him starting the season and I wish him all the best. I hope he does stay healthy because he's put up some pretty intriguing performances, a, an entire second half against Ohio state where he looked really good in that game. And when he stays healthy, he's a fun player to watch, but I don't necessarily think he's a good fit for DeBoer's system overall. And I, I don't know that he stays healthy. He had his best season with the board. I mean, I don't know how he's not a good fit, fit for him. Uh, Austin, you're re you you really like the wide receivers there. Does it matter who the quarterback is um, to, to you know st to still touting those guys? Is it is it does it have to be uh, Heward or Morris or does it matter if it's Penix? 
So I was sitting here as Matt was talking, and um, I do this with Colin on the C2C pod where Colin talks. I let my want my want my mind wander. I think about what I'm already gonna say next. Like whatever's happening in front of me when Colin's talking is inconsequential. Um I try not to do that on this show, but as Matt was talking, I, I drew I, I drew up this really good, you know, intro line in my head that I was gonna drop on you, and then you just took it. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is here, actually, guys. Michael Penix. His big year with Kalen DeBoer, he played those six games, uh, completed 68.8% of his passes uh, for 1,400 yards, essentially 10 touchdowns, four interceptions. When he got hurt, Peyton Ramsey came in and put up literally almost per game the exact same numbers. What do we think of Peyton Ramsey? What did we ever think of Peyton Ramsey? Nothing. What did anybody think of Jake Hayner before Kalen DeBoer got his hands on him? Nothing. That's why he's a 60-year kid in the Mountain West Conference. Nobody thought anything of Jake Hayner. So to say that it really matters for anybody on this team, whether it's Michael Penix, whether it's Dylan Morris, or whether it's Sam Heward, I don't think it matters. Maybe it, you know a, a 5 or 10% difference either way, potentially, but it doesn't really matter. DeBoer is going to come in. He's going to do his thing. I still think the wide receivers are going to be fairly productive, specifically Jalen McMillan. I still think Aaron Dumas is going to have a really nice year. Um, so, no, I, I don't really care who the quarterback is at all. Um, some of these quarterback battles, that I feel like that's a question. Do we care? This next one, TCU, Chandler Morris, and uh, Max Dugan. I think Chris, maybe you can answer this question for me, but I feel like we care more about the skill positions there at TCU. Maybe I mean, do we is the is the quarterback of TCU somebody that we have to roster, whether it's Morris or and Morris kind of came on last year. Um, yeah, just give me the assessment of that room. Yeah, yeah, Morris had that really great game against Baylor, um, where he just like looked lights out when he just like better than we've seen Max Dugan play for the majority of his career. I think you have to roster the TCU quarterback. There's a lot of talk about how pass heavy this offense is going to be. It's going to be really explosive. Quentin Johnson having a substantial impact on this, on the passing game. Jordan Hudson's getting a ton of hype out of camp. I think they're going to pass probably at a top 10 rate in the country. So I think you have to be rostering this, uh, this quarterback. I think it's going to be Max Dugan to start. I think that they're going to lean on him as the veteran, but I think both guys you should be rostered in leagues. I prefer Chandler Morris personally, but I'm not going to fault anybody who targets Dugan as well. I the, Sonny Dykes is going to run an explosive offense. I'm ex- I'm actually excited for TCU. Petition to send Connor Harrell there. Petition everybody. Mm. Yes, everybody vote yes. Mm. Okay, mm. I can get I can get right. beyond that. Mm. Signed, noted. Get him. Well, back. you remember, I say nay, but. Chandler Morris was blocked from transferring at one point by Lincoln Riley. So, like, obviously Lincoln Riley thinks high of him, which is an interesting, um, you know, a guy who's put a lot of quarterbacks into the NFL. There was a lot of drama around that transfer. Um, so Chandler Morris is someone who I think is well thought of. I don't know why he couldn't be productive. Um, you know, it's not a super tough schedule. The defenses in the pack or uh, Big Ten or Big 12 mess up the conference three times. Is, are getting a little bit better, but still, I, they're, they're not anywhere near um, enough to really threaten an explosive passing game like I think TCU will have. Well, I mean, 
last year, you he went up against one of the best Big 12 defenses in Baylor and put up 460 yards on him and two touchdowns. Like that was his best. That was his his come out party, right? That was when everybody started. Let's go roster him in CFF and C2C leagues. I don't know that he'll start off the season though. It, it really seems like they really like Dugan for whatever reason. But I'm I'm with you on. You've got to roster him because they're going to put – I mean, look at what he did for Tanner Mordecai. No offense to Tanner Mordecai, but, I mean, he made him a a fantasy viable option. They've got incredible weapons all around him. And Quentin Johnston, as you mentioned, Jordan Hudson is getting a ton of pub. DJ Allen's gotten a a, a nice couple days in now that he's there. Uh, They're even hyping up Corey Wren in the receiving game out out of the backfield. Like, they're all kinds of talks about what this offense is going to do. So, yeah, I, I do think it's going to end up being Chandler Morris, but I I would roster both of them. And honestly, I just mentioned I would roster Sam Jackson. I know you just mentioned send Connor Hill there. They seem to really like that kid, the third-string quarterback. Like, they cannot stop talking about how good he looks in camp. I don't know why they're doing that if he's not actually impressing them. I feel like the a lot of the audience might be in the same position that I'm in. I feel like I haven't seen – TCU's quarterback outside of when they play Oklahoma, and I just don't have a good feel for them. Are either one of these guys an NFL quarterback? A, you know, a, a day two or fourth round NFL quarterback? I think we're pretty sure Dugan's not. Morris's problem is he's like 5'10, 170. He's mm-hmm. really, really tiny. So I don't think the NFL, like, would, would be particularly fond of him either for that reason. But Dugan's had three or four years to figure it out at this point. I mean, he hasn't done it yet. I, I, I don't I don't know if the NFL will all of a sudden come knocking, but I don't know. He's toolsy. He's toolsy though. Ooh, toolsy. He's well, you know how the NFL likes those tools. I bet I bet Max Dugan when he dr- declares gets drafted. Is Max whether that's Dugan, like the seventh round or not. I think he's he a guy actually, the NFL might actually take. Is he actually toolsy? Like he can move a little bit, but like I wouldn't call him a rusher. I I've never been like blown away by his arm strength. I, I don't know. Rusher. Okay. I think he's a pretty mobile guy. Like he had a, a year of what nine touchdowns a couple years ago, like rushing touchdowns. Like he he's, he can move. Well, but this next no, quarterback, he's not an NFL quality player. Not an NFL quality player. Um, I think about I think the next two quarterback battles we're going to talk about. We probably don't have an NFL quality player there. However, we do have huge implications for CFF. I mean, last year Zach Kitley's quarterback and wide receivers. If you just had them, you just won your. I mean, that's it. If you had uh, uh, Bailey Zappi and Josh Stearns, you won your league. Chris Moxley, are we approaching that with at Texas Tech and gun to your head? Who are you? Who are we starting at least to start the season? There's three options there: Tyler Show, who obviously started as a freshman at Oregon, Baron Morton, and Donovan Smith, the athlete who uh, dad is running backs coach now for the Giants, I believe. Gun to your head: Who is starting Week One for for I almost said Western Kentucky for Texas Tech? I think it's. I'm pretty sure it's going to be Tyler Show. Um, I feel pretty good about that prediction. I don't know how much confidence I have in him maintaining the job. I think that's a little bit different question. I think Bear Morton might get act- get in and make some starts. But I think Chuck is the guy that you probably want week one. And I have seen people take both in drafts. Uh, Jared Palmer, we talked about him earlier. He's a guy that double taps them back to back a bunch. Just because it's so valuable to have 
the quarterback in the Zach Kitley offense. We saw what he did at Western Kentucky last year. They had the second highest neutral game script pass rate ever recorded in our database. <laughs> this is a team that's just going to pass a bunch. And they have pretty good receiving options there. Mm-hmm. We really like Miles Price. I think Loic Fungi, Fungi, and now I can't pronounce it because Collins got me all messed up. That's who I blame for that. Um, he's interesting. I think there's like a DK Metcalf comp out there for him. Big, fast, raw guy on the outside. Um, Jared Bradley. Like, there's a lot of guys. JT Sparkman. Like, this is a team with a lot of skill uh, at the receiving position. So I'm really curious to see what they do this year. And I think it's a quality team. Whichever quarterback is probably a top 15 quarterback in CFF. Just make sure you get the right one. I think it's going to be Chuck to start. But both are obviously rosterable. I don't think Donovan Smith plays a role in this battle, but I know a lot of <laughs> C2Cers draft him. I, I drafted very early in this offseason, like in February, in supplemental drafts. I drafted Donovan Smith, you know, like in the 10th round, and I'm just like, mm, probably a waste of a pick. The fall for him has been pretty bad. I mean, he was going way ahead of Morton and Chuck earlier this yeah. offseason. Like, I was looking at his ADP earlier compared to, like, now he's, like, QB 58 off the board. He's barely even in our ADP database. I- I'm with Moxley, though. Everything from spring, it- it- it's going to be Chuck unless he gets injured. There's nothing that points to anybody else, and it does seem like while Donovan Smith early on in spring was definitely the two Morton passed him. And it seemed like it happened pretty quick, just based on what he was able to do in and out of the pocket. Uh, he had by all reports, even though I, th- I think they only televised like the first half uh, all by all reports, he had the best spring game out of all three quarterbacks. Uh, they start up tomorrow, I think. So their team I'll be paying really close attention to, but I do think it at some point Morton takes over. I think Shuck's, leash is very very short like if they lose a game or two i think he's out and they put morton in that's why i wouldn't rule out smith just yet because i think if morton struggles maybe they go back to smith one more time and give him a shot but i do think based on what colin thinks and i i don't remember if austin really likes morton i I think morton's actually a very good quarterback as well for that system i I think he'll be fine that donovan ends up transferring but I, i do think shuck starts the season I mean, Matt, give yourself credit, though, because you've kind of been in on Baron Morton. And we had Alan True 24-7 on two years ago, and we asked him about a freshman that could surprise. Actually, it wasn't even us. It was him, Alfred, and uh, – and, oh, It was uh, Matt and David. It was in our Discord. And Katie yeah, Flower. No, they, no, no, no. no Katie no, Flower, when right. they hosted the show – they, yeah, when they all when they when we when they did the substitute hosting, and um, and yeah, Alan True brought up Baron Morton as being a guy who who could impress, who was you know not a four or five star. Um, let's double tap here, Western Kentucky and uh, Texas Tech. So let's let's follow up with Kentucky. Uh, Austin, this just feels like it's Jared Dogie this year and Austin Reed next but dogie's the one that you want to have uh, this season hannah page says jared dogie it's probably jared dogie that's uh kind of the end of the discussion there i I still think austin reed like it's not an fcs transfer it's division two transfer up like it's a bigger jump than people think especially to an offense that like they're putting that offense on your back. It's not like you can come in and they can kind of shield you and they're going to run it 50 times a game and, and the line can ground and pound. Like 
you're you're expected to come in and, and move that ball down the field pretty much at will the whole time. He's got a great arm and he threw for like eight thousand yards and eighty touchdowns and two and two years starting in D two level. I, I he needs a year. He needs a year. I'm sorry to to learn a, to, the playbook to 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 get acclimated to a, a division one level defense. So it, it's going to be Dogie unless he gets hurt. I I, I don't think it's going to be Reed at all this year. If you have Tyler Shuck and Jared Dogie, and you have Miles Price and Malachi Corley, like what are your chances of winning your of the college side of your league? I mean, like. It feels like it's more than 50%. It feels like you just gave yourself a great shot. System matters, but it feels like they're still not going to achieve on the same level that, that that those teams last year did. I'm interested to see what happens with Western Kentucky because, remember, they brought everything with them. Like, short of, like, the ball boy and, like, the guy that washes the jerseys after the, the practice, like, they brought everything from Western Kentucky with them. So let's see now that a lot of those guys are gone if there are – maybe some hiccups in year two that didn't exist before. If you have a starting lineup of Jared Dogie, um, Malachi Corley, or Daywood Davis, Tyler Show, and Miles Price, shoot us a uh, tweet on Twitter. I want to I see that, and I want to track that team. Shout out Let's to go- Tyler Shuck, who is the worst quarterback I can ever remember getting a way-too-early first-round mock. Uh, multiple times <laughs> in an offseason. Multiple times last year. Big name people said Tyler Shuck was going to be a first-round draft pick. Zero chance. There was never a chance. I want to move here to Texas A&M. This is a team that has, like, everything. I think I even have the um, – some uh, Evan Stewart's going to be a very good player. They have the highest-ranked recruiting class this season. That defense should be good. But, man, Texas A&M is boring when they don't have a quarterback to throw it all around. Zach Calzada was good last year in substitute of uh, Haynes King. Max Johnson is there from LSU now. Mox, I mean, I I feel like this is Haynes King's job again. What do you think? Man, this is probably the toughest battle for me to figure out because I think these two are – pretty much equal. I'm going to go with Haynes King because he brings a different element than Johnson does. But I know it's not on the sheet, and I I had this. I would be surprised if Connor Wagon got in this year. He was really impressive during spring by all accounts. And, like, I don't think they're super happy with Haynes King. I don't think they're super happy with Johnson. I think Wagman has the best chance of, like, all these quarterbacks that we talked about to provide year one value of like Ty Simpson is not going to do it. Cade Klubnik, if DJ struggles, possibly, but there aren't a lot of guys at the high end that can do that. And I think Wegman has as good a chance of anybody. I do think it's going to be Haynes King because he's more mobile, but I don't think he's a great passer. Like I think his mobility is the best part. And that might be something that's attractive to Jimbo. Um, but I mean, I would not be surprised if we saw Johnson come in. And if we saw Wegman at the end of the season start a handful of games, I like all he has to do is really manage this offense because the defense is excellent. The offensive line is very good. I there aren't a lot of holes on this team. You just need a game manager. And if they want to throw a guy in who isn't going to be erratic, it might be Wegman. Just Connor Connor Wegman is a five star uh, quarterback. 
And in supplemental drafts, he is regularly, regularly like taken after the 10th round. I mean, really, really late. Right there with Gunnar Gunner Stockton is left on the board too. Matt, do you see, you know, uh, Jimbo turning this over to a freshman at some point? I'd find it hard to believe if he goes to Wigman. Now, he is a big fan of him. He's uh, openly stated that he thought he was better than Quinn Ewers. That's why they didn't try and go get him, quote unquote, in the recruit or in the transfer portal. Um, I question whether he really thinks he's that good because then they just brought in Malachi Nelson this past week and is trying to get him to flip mm-hmm. to Texas. And then, but you know, that is what it is. You know, I, I would be surprised. I agree with everything Moxley said. Like, there are really no holes on this team. So I could see them putting him in there based on his potential. But Texas AM has their eyes set on a national championship and beating Alabama. Mm-hmm. I don't think you throw the freshman in there unless he really shows you something. And 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 Mox is right; he was very impressive. But if you go look at everything they said throughout the spring, they also said Hanks King and Max Johnson were as well. So I, I feel like you got to read between the tea leaves a little bit on all three of those. Now, Wigman made a great throw. I think it was to Evan Stewart in that spring game. Uh, it was all over Twitter. I do think it's going to end up being Haynes King. I think Max, they wanted Mac Johnson to come there so they could get his five-star tight end brother to come there. I don't think he ends up playing. Because of what Moxley said, you don't have to do much. And Haynes King, granted it was only one game, looked fairly decent in that one game. I just don't think they're going to ask him to do that much. And because of his mobility, that will buy him time when he needs it. I think it's going to be Haynes King practically the entire season, unless at some point Texas A&M's out of it and they want to throw Wigman in there. Do you, do you think that Haynes King could ever develop into a player that you need to start on the college side of your I mean yeah. I mean no yeah, I don't think so either and I don't think he's an NFL quarterback either He's not I, I don't think he brings enough rushing upside and while I've been probably the biggest proponent on Jimbo Fisher is going to throw the ball more this year because he keeps saying that, I kind of need to see it before I, I believe that. And he's also not going to give you, as you just two guys we just talked about, Jared Dogie and Tyler Shuck, he's not bringing you that kind of passing volume either. That's never going to happen in a Jimbo Fisher offense. So I don't think he's ever going to be even top like 45 at quarterback. He's a guy like I'd roster, but I, I don't have ever, I don't have any high hopes of starting him and probably won't. Austin, if they keep recruiting like this, I mean, Texas A&M is going to have skill position players. Is Wegman someone that you would have high expectations for? Maybe not this year, but next year or the following year. I mean, maybe. <clears throat> I it. I think, you know, Texas A&M is trying to follow the model of Ohio State, really, because Alabama and Clemson don't do it to the degree that Ohio State does, where they're just trying to grab a highly rated quarterback in every single class now. They got Wegman last year. They're trying to go after – well, they tried to go after um, uh, Dante Moore, the five-star quarterback who who committed to Oregon. He's headed out that way. They're now apparently trying to go on a full-on offensive from Malachi Nelson, which I can tell you right now there is almost a 0% chance that that would ever happen. Um, they, like they're just trying to do that. I, I think they're going to try to churn, 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 churn until they find the guy. Problem for a lot of these quarterbacks is a lot of five star quarterbacks come from money, they don't need NIL. You aren't just finding a 330 pound athletic freak that's from a town of 70 people in Alabama to come to Texas AM and you can woo them with money. 
they tried to get Austin Novosad in this class. Austin Novosad's dad is like a, a big time, big time, big time corporate accountant at like a huge firm. Like Dante Moore's family has money. Malachi Nelson's family has money. Like all these, all these high end quarterbacks have money. Arch had like Arch would have never even looked at Texas A and M. These kids don't care. Like the, these kids don't care. They're gonna go to a school that like has a 21st century offense with a coach that is like actually put good quarterbacks in the NFL. So until Jimbo can cross either one of those two hurdles, I think he is going to have a tough time, like actually getting guys that are like gets. Like I don't know that some of these guys are actually considered a get sometimes. I, will, yet, I just want to. Okay. Oh, I know no, Chris go is going to say he's gotten a bunch of first round quarterbacks, but none of That's them have been good. Not okay. Say. I I, I, I hundred percent agree. Yeah, so was I. Like to just to echo Austin's point on why Jimbo has to show it. He just mentioned Austin Novosad is a and at Aggie's legacy. Both of his parents went to and graduated Texas A&M, and they could not land him. I think Jimbo has to show that he can have a 21st century offense before he really. But like he got lucky with Evan Stewart, and I think he's gonna have to prove that he can build an offense around these players before more will come. Yeah, that's yeah I. 100% agree. And I actually think the point about um, wealth in recruiting, especially at the quarterback position, because that's one that takes, honestly, a lot of money to be successful with if you're not like an elite athlete. Like to be a refined quarterback, you, it takes a lot of a lot of investment. Um, and like you said, all of those players are, generally speaking, fairly wealthy. From or like a fairly wealthy family, um, like I I was struggling to think of the last highly ranked guy that wasn't. While we were talking about this, I was like Sam Heward is a legacy. Um, like Caleb Williams' dad has uh, a gym, for example. Like these are all players who are fairly well off. So the Jimbo Fisher, you know, I'm not spending on my class. I don't know how much weight that really holds, especially like. You know, I don't know Connor Webin's background or like you know what his family situation is. If he if he comes from wealth or he he doesn't, but it's really an interesting situation that Texas A&M is in, where you have to pay players that might need the money more than others do, and that might not be equal across the board. And I that's a really really good point. Good, We've got I, two I wasn't more. even gonna trash trash it. Awesome. I wasn't even going to say anything bad about your Jimbo Fisher take. I was going to say you did. That's an excellent, excellent point. We've got two more uh, quarterback rooms to talk about. Um, Austin, I want to go to you with Cincinnati because I've heard you absolutely flame Ben Bryant on um, campus life. But if Evan Prater gets that job, I mean, we're talking about who someone who is at least CFF relevant and maybe more. If if the reports are true and they're considering starting Ben Bryant, Cincinnati has no ambition of getting back to where they were last season. It's just a fact of life. Evan Prater is the raw, more raw player. I'm not going to dispute that. Like he completed like 55% of his passes in high school. Like he wasn't super accurate, but you know what he was in high school. He was incredibly dynamic. He did not go to this big high school. He's from near the Cincinnati area. It was Mr. Football in Ohio led his led this small school that is not usually good at football really, really far in the state playoffs. He 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 is just a kid that like if you as Cincinnati need a spark, that is basically what Desmond Ritter was for them last year. You put a guy that's more dynamic 
behind center when you don't really have good receivers. I would understand starting Ben Bryant if you had a bunch of really great playmakers all across the board. You were just saying, we just need a guy that can put the ball in their hands. Ben Bryant was crap at Eastern Michigan last year. This is a team with higher expectations, a team that has basically been been building up themselves as saying, we are more than a G5 program over the, over the past few years. Ben Bryant is a G5 quarterback. He is not the caliber of player that they are used to starting there. He, quite frankly, he, he was so bad last year, guys. He was unbelievably bad. I have a hard time believing that Evan Prater in there, even if he doesn't, if like you know, if, if he's lacking like the 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 experience and the reading of of the field, you can't tell me that that he even needs that to be as good as Ben Bryant. I don't think he does. I think this is a defeatist decision by that coaching staff to go with a much lower ceiling Ben Bryant because they know what they have with him. But it's going to be Ben Bryant. Hmm. Uh, It'll be Evan Prater. It's going to be <laughs> Ben Bryant. They're, the only reason they're giving Ben Bryant even a shot is they don't want him to transfer out. It, it, you know, Felix mentioned I earlier in the show. Again. He, he, he can't transfer, transfer out. out. I didn't know He's he stuck. can't transfer out. Yeah. He Felix was at, mentioned earlier. that he left, came back. And came back. That's right. I, he's got no shot. If Evan Prater was talked about all through spring as like it was it was a close battle until the spring game when everything I read said that Evan Prater played better than him. As Austin mentioned, he is practically Desmond Ritter, but a little bit more athletic. And the quarterback coach that was all in on Desmond Ritter that convinced Luke Fickle to keep Desmond Ritter when he first got to Cincinnati because they were going to go into the transfer portal to get another quarterback, convinced him to keep Desmond Ritter, said, I can develop this guy. Is going to go to Ben Bryant, who's the opposite, complete opposite of that? No, they're not. They're going to stick with Evan Prater. It's not going to be Ben Bryant. Was that not the same quarterback coach that brought in Ben Bryant in the first place? The whole the whole issue I have here, to be honest, is if Evan Prater is as good as we think he is, why is this dude splitting reps so much with Ben Bryant? Like, we have this idea of Evan Prater that is so, like, good and wholesome – and he's like a little um, flower, right? And we just think that he's just beautiful, beautiful prospect. He's raw, but he's still much potential. Okay? Like, he's he's about to lose the job to Ben Bryant. So how good is Devin Prater, really? That's the question that I'm asking. Because this dude, when he doesn't start week one, are we really going to say that it's like, oh, they're being defeatist? Like, if Evan Prater is that much better than Ben Bryant, he's playing. Like, I don't think that – I don't think there's any question. They just, they just ran out Desperator out there. Desmond Ritter was not an excellent, amazing player until the last like season and a half. He had struggles. I think they're willing to embrace. I'm very, very worried about Ben Prater's right now. Very. Mike, we're gonna, we're gonna fix Chris time. Moxley's audio. Um, my, go ahead, go ahead, Matthew. My issue with that is you go to any camp in the country right now, and everybody is splitting reps. Unless it's a like locked, in, like CJ Stroud is not splitting reps. Caleb Williams, not split. but if you go to last year, all you guys told me all year long was CJ Stroud is heads above Kyle McCord. Yet they were splitting reps up until two weeks before the first game. Like you can't tell me that Evan Prater is horrible because he's splitting reps with Ben Bryant right now as we open fall camp. That's what everybody is doing unless you have a solid, solidified, this is our guy starter, and they don't have that. They're not going to come out and name Evan Bryant that because they do want Ben Bryant or Evan, I'm sorry, Evan Prater, because they do want Ben Bryant to continue to compete. But I would be, and I may end up being 100% wrong on this, just like I was with Sam Heward. I would be shocked if Evan Prater is not starting for Cincinnati week one. 
Ben, I agree with Austin. Ben Bryant's not good. He's not. Cincinnati wants to make it back to the playoffs. You have to have that position about splitting reps, reps not being a red flag because your boy down in Texas is splitting reps. I know. I did the Card, report on so. Texas today. Hudson Card got the first yeah. reps, actually. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, one more here. LSU, and I think this is a, falls under the category of does it even matter? Do we care who um, LSU's quarterback is? We care about Kayshawn Boutte. But do we care about who the quarterback is? Garrett Nussmeyer, Jaden Daniels, um, Miles Brennan. Daniels obviously being the transfer from from Arizona State. Austin, do, do you care who the, the starting quarterback here here is for LSU? I do if it's Nussmeyer. Mm-hmm. That's the only guy that I really care about here. I mean, we've Miles Brennan's in his sixth year. We know what Miles mm-hmm. Brennan is. Jaden Daniels, I actually don't think we really know what Jaden Daniels is yet because I don't think that Arizona State coaching staff was particularly friendly to him even with all of the blemishes that he that he kind of has as a player um i do think it's really intriguing though actually the the more interesting part about this discussion is that we're not talking about walker howard at all a kid that was a five-star quarterback in this year's class chip kelly you know walker howard was committed to lsu and then they fired edward around and the whole staff and he was like i don't know chip kelly when he was at or not chip kelly uh um, brian kelly when he was at notre dame Tried to recruit Walker Howard there. So then it made sense when they hired him that Walker Howard went there. And Walker Howard is not in this discussion at all. Walker Howard probably will never start a game at LSU. But I just find it very intriguing that the five-star kid is like not even like at least Connor Wegman, they were like, oh, and like the note at the end of practice is, oh, and Connor Wegman got five pass attempts and you know he's got a cannon. Like Walker Howard, there's been nothing. Nothing. He's a ghost. Who starts more games at their current school, Kyle McCord or Walker Howard? Well, McCord's already started one, yeah. So Howard's got to get two in. So I'm going to go with McCord. (laughs) I I think Jaden Daniels would be a very interesting start for LSU. Like I know, I know Austin's in on Garrett Nussmart. He probably is the better quarterback. But bringing over Mike Denbrock, who again, I mean, right with sticking with Cincinnati, was just in Cincinnati dealing with Desmond Ritter and Evan Prater. I think he would be an interesting fit to put uh, to have Jaden Daniels as his quarterback. I don't know if he starts. It seemed like he did not have a good spring and was already kind of behind uh, Garrett Nussmeyer and Miles Brennan. But I think he'd be an intriguing fit in that offense if they bring any kind of concepts from Cincinnati down to LSU. And, and even what Brian Kelly, I mean, David. One of our lead recruiting guys was arguing with us in the recruiting channel the other day about how Brian Kelly likes to run his quarterbacks a little bit more than we all thought he did when we were kind of giving him crap about uh, Tyler Buckner and somebody else. So I I think Jaden Daniels would be an intriguing fit for that offense. The offensive coordinator that he brought in, Mike Denbrock, sucks. That's like one of the worst hires, in my opinion, at the Power 5 level. He was that offensive coordinator in Cincinnati, and like they were good in – of him like he's a bad offense coordinator and like i don't i try not to be that dramatic but he's not great he really isn't and walker howard is a guy who austin has said at times doesn't deserve that five-star rating um he's like one of the guys that sticks out he also is the guy in the viral video with the colin baton rouge i believe which is a great great introduction to Kelly being in Louisiana. So Walker is a very interesting player. I tend to agree. I don't think he's all that he's cracked up to be. The five-star games 
is surprising to me. Uh, he definitely sticks out. But, but LSU fans will tell you. Player. LSU fans will tell you he's better than Devin Brown and Arch Manning. So take that for what it's worth. We've oh, given blanket like no, do not pass, go, do not collect two hundred dollars to Ben Bryant and Mike Denbrock uh, on today's show. For those who are counting, I think that's all we got. Is that all we got, guys? I don't know if the audience can tell, but this like car is like sputtering to the finish line, and we need more. <laughs> there, there was no gas in the car at the beginning. You talked for fourteen minutes, man. I mean, if I didn't, you know, this show would have been like thirty minutes. But we're almost there. We're almost to the season, and we'll get there. Puttering or whatnot, but um, yeah, support campuscant.com. Support. Um, uh, support us. Leave us a rate and review. I need to have a rate and review on the campusdecamp.com or the Campus Decamp podcast feed before next week. So somebody, please help us out with that. Um, all right. That's all we got. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreet. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. For Chris Moxley, Matt Bruning, and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter up, caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. For the freshman. He made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards.